The Gospel reading is taken from St. John's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning at the first verse, and can be found on page 1081 of the Church Bibles. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anne. Well, my name is Simon. I'd like to commend all the visitors for singing so lustily. It's not always true that when we get people uh, visiting here that they know how to sing, but I recognise that you do, so it's great to have you here. Let's have a word of prayer before we um, uh, move on. 
Father, we pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts as well as to our minds. We pray that you'll make us receptive and hungry to hear from you. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, there was a report by the think tank Theos, um, uh, which had done a, um, a study of all the international studies of uh, health and well-being over the last 30 years, 139 of them, to see whether there was any link between being mentally healthy and having a religious faith. And from these 139 studies, a very, very clear message came through that if you want to remain healthy or if you have been unwell and want to get healthy, then the thing to do is to get a faith. And not only to get a faith, but there was a particular connection also between that faith being exercised in community with other people. Great reason for coming to church, if I may say. And in our summer series now, we're unpacking the Christian belief that we're created to work together in community. That we each have different but complementary abilities. And interestingly, when the Bible is uh, talking about that, always the analogy they use is of the human body. They say the human body is made up of different parts, but they're all complementary. So we have a little test now. If you could all wiggle your feet, could you? Yes, I can only check the front row. And Okay, can you um, uh, clasp your hands together if you're not holding a child or doing something else useful with them? Okay. Could you now um, uh, uh, pinch your neighbour very hard? <laughs> and hopefully, the different senses uh, of feet, hands, feelings were all fully functioning. But let me ask you this what if we as a church uh, had a paralysis because some of our functions were not operating properly? If we look at the lists, which you'll see on the screen, of the gifts of the Spirit, what Paul is saying in these three different passages, which we've been looking at, is that we've each got something to contribute. None of us is a redundant part. And we've been looking through the different gifts. We're digging beneath the surface to find out where our unique contribution is to be found. Now, I'm not going to ask you what your gifts are, but hands up if you feel, yes, I do feel that I've got a particular contribution that the church would be weaker without if I didn't exercise it. Put your hand up. Okay, we're about 25% functioning as a body in that case. And this is not good. Now, this may be because you are self-denying and think it's not a gift really that I do, but if it really is that you think, well, nobody would notice if I left the church, uh, nobody would notice if I just became a piece of pew fodder, then you've got it wrong. You've misunderstood it. We are disempowered as a result of that. And if you look through that gift, uh, those gifts, there are some which are pretty remarkable and you think, well, I'm pleased to say I've got nothing to do with being a miracle worker or maybe have gifts of healing or maybe uh, uh, teaching or maybe speaking in tongues or prophecy. 
It's an interesting reflection on what made up the early church, that those were prominent gifts within it. It wasn't just a group of like-minded people, it was much more than that. But not all the gifts are eyebrow raisers. I sometimes feel as I'm going through that list a little bit like when I was at school, you know, and they were picking teams and, you know, they have two captains and they'd say, okay, who's going to be on the first? And, you know, you'd work your way through, not me, not me, not me, and you think, I just hope somebody will choose me. Well, maybe it's like that. And we're coming today to a gift which is perhaps one which you've overlooked. It's the gift of service or of helping If you look at the next scene, we've just highlighted two of those gifts, uh, uh, two of those ways in which this is described. It's being a helper, and it's easily overlooked. And we're going to learn two Greek words today. You, You get nothing but real quality education if you come to church here. Two different words which are used to describe this gift of service or helping. Look on the screen now, and you'll see the two places in which they're mentioned. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If someone's gift is serving, diakonanian, then let them serve. And then it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, in the church God has appointed various people, including those able to help. Antilemphase. You don't have to pronounce it. I've already done it wrong already. Let's look at those two words and see what they mean, because all these words were used in everyday language at the time that Paul was writing. So they had an understanding, a meaning, a derivation, which I think sometimes helps us to understand why the word was used. The first, diakonian, means meeting the needs of the weak and vulnerable. It means someone who puts mercy into practice, someone who exercises charity. And very soon after that word was used in the New Testament, it became not a gift, but the name of a job. We have the word deacon that comes from that same word. And right in the early chapters of our Acts, Acts chapter 6 in fact, when the leaders of the church were finding themselves overwhelmed by all that they had to do, and particularly to um, distribute the uh, gifts to the poor people, particularly those who weren't from a Hebrew background in the church, they appointed people who had the gift of helping, of service, and they were called deacons. Now the second word is used only twice in the New Testament, And it also conveys the idea of helping the helpless. It's in the 1 Corinthians list, but it's also in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, which recalls Paul's final words to the church at Ephesus before he went on to Rome and to his death. It was like his valedictory sermon. And what did he say? The very last thing he said before he said farewell, he said this, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, We must help the weak. That's the word, help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So it's absolutely key to the church and to our community that we have people who are ready to serve and to be helpers. And Jesus is our model of service. That uh, uh, gospel reading that we had of the feet washing is very, very powerful stuff. 
the first thing to notice is that Jesus was not doing it uh, from, a point, from the point of view of uh, uh, a feeling that he had a false sense of unworthiness. And sometimes people are helpless because they think, by doing this, I'll be acceptable. Jesus was very, very clear. It says in the passage, Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his feet, became a servant. So it wasn't from a position of weakness, it was from a position of strength that Jesus became a servant. It wasn't a deep sigh of reluctance that nobody else was going to do it, so I better do it. No, it was the confidence in knowing that his worth is not determined by his title or by the things that he does. He's confident about that. And so would, should we as Christians be before we become servants. We're not called to be doormats. We're called to be the helpers within the church. And he, Jesus, is our example and our inspiration. The other uh, very early verse uh, from the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2, it's the hymn which is uh, sung in the early church and is thought to be one of the very earliest pieces of Christian literature, says this about Jesus. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, who are examples in the New Testament of people who were really good at helping being servants? Well, it's very hard to find them because by their nature, they're backroom people. They're people who don't get up front. I think perhaps one of the best examples of people who had a gift of helping were the women who followed Jesus from Galilee and were there at the cross when he died. It's mentioned there in Luke chapter 23. People about whom you would read nothing because they were there in the back room. But if they hadn't been there, who would have fed Jesus? Who would have given him the support that he needed to do the job that he had to do? So what can we learn from this? There's four things. Try and remember at least one of them, okay? The first thing is this, that serving others is at the core of the Christian faith. From the earliest days, serving others especially the weak, has been the central, has been central to the church's mission. And it's no surprise that the school system in our country, that the health service system in our country, that social care in our country dates itself back to the church and to Christians getting into social action. And it's true for street angels, and it's true for healing on the streets, and it's true for the Besom, which meets the needs of uh, the people who are weak and are helpless. So it's core to our Christian faith. The second is that service is a natural expression of faith for all of us. We're talking in this series about the special gifts we've got. But we can't say, okay, my job is not to help because that's for somebody else. It is a core Christian characteristic. There aren't some helpful people and some who are unhelpful in the Christian faith. So it's something for all of us to do. And as we do it, uh, we proclaim the gospel, whether it's with words or not. But the third thing is this. For some people, helping others is a special gift over and above the normal I think it's that ability 
to recognize something beyond the obvious needs that people have and then to do something about it. It's to be thinking of others in a way that actually gets underneath the conscious. I wonder if you can think of any people who you think has that special gift. I've got three very quick examples that I think back to in my own experience and they also demonstrate the diversity of how we can serve others. One is of a, uh, when I worked in the health service, of a senior consultant who said to me, out of the blue, he said, if you ever have a need and you think that I can help with you, then call me any time of the day or night. He said, I don't sleep very much, so therefore you won't be interrupting sleep. Genuine, not as a result of anything that I had said, but he recognised that that was a way in which he could help. Secondly, somebody I hadn't had contact with for some years who called me and said, I've been thinking and praying about you and I don't know why, but I'm just wanting you to know that that's the case. And the third illustration is somebody who out of the blue gave uh, uh, me and my wife a weekend's holiday. Unprompted, I thought, gosh, what have I done to to deserve that? And the answer was nothing. And the three different ways are linked by one phrase, out of the blue, out of the blue, not expected, something which was remarkably wonderful but was not expected. So can you think of somebody who's got a special gift like that? Because if you can, it's worth telling them so. Then if we tell people about the gifts that we think they've got, then we may have more hands going up when we say, who's got special gifts? It's nothing to do with you. A gift is a gift. It's undeserved. So you're not boasting about it if you've got it, because you've got it out of somebody else's love. And the fourth thing to say is that serving others comes in many different forms. It comes in domestic service, foot washing. It comes in logistics, distributing aid. It comes in giving time and giving prayer. It's whatever we have that other people might be able to use is a great example of how to be a servant. It's showing the diverse ways in which this can be expressed. And it also links up with all the other gifts we've got. The gift of encouragement comes when you're a servant. The gift of administration comes when you organise something by way of giving to other people. The gift of generosity also, if your way of uh, uh, serving people is by giving them money. And it's in that connection that I'm going to give you the opportunity to listen to Jeff and to a video where those of you who've got resources that you can use could use them in service to God. Jeff. Yes, thank you. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Thank you, Simon. And uh, in a moment, we will show a video, which is uh, more a message for Steve than, than for the rest of you, just to cue that up. Uh, but so most of you, I'm sure a lot of you anyway in the church will remember, last winter we did a, um, an appeal, Samara's Aid Appeal, where we, we gathered together clothes, um, good quality clothes, that were sent off to Syria. And that was under the auspices of Samara and Samara's Aid Appeal. And uh, you may also remember, if you happen to be in church on that particular Sunday, Samara herself, who's based down near Brighton, came up and spoke to this church about the work that she's doing. I think it's fair to say 
that Samara uh, is an ordinary person, an ordinary member of a church congregation through whom God is doing some extraordinary things. That one lorry load that she wanted to put together for Syria and for the refugees there uh, became more than now more than 50 trucks that have been sent across there. Um, filled with clothes, medical equipment, supplies, and she's now sent somewhere around 13 or 14 ambulances across to Syria as well. So there's an incredible need there that is being met, and we will be running that clothes appeal again later this year. But I want to show you something now um, that is a slight shift of focus. So she's getting more involved, her appeal is getting more involved, and we want to help and play our part. So please watch this video, and then I'll say a few things after it. In 2015, Syria suffered four times as many attacks on healthcare than anywhere else in the world. These account for more than half of the world's attacks on healthcare. Nearly 200 hospitals in Syria have been destroyed now. And only one in three hospitals are fully functional. Around half of Syria's medical professionals have fled the country, and medications and medical equipment are very difficult to source. According to the World Health Organization, 11.5 million people inside Syria are in urgent need of health care. As the conflict continues, children and families are injured and require urgent emergency care. It simply isn't available. This appeal started with a vision to fill one lorry of humanitarian aid to send out to the Middle East. It's very quickly grown. We've clothed more than 100,000 people. We've sent 11 ambulances and a range of essential medical equipment. We've now just opened a new hospital in Syria in an area where all the hospitals have been destroyed. A few months ago, our medical teams cared for a three and a half year old girl. She was injured in a devastating bomb attack. Before I had children, I used to be an A&E nurse. Dealing with serious traumas is always disturbing. But there are some patients that you deal with who are written on your heart for life. This little girl is one of the many, many patients written on the hearts of our medical teams in Syria. But this situation isn't unusual in Syria. It's everyday life. It's just another bomb, just another terrorist attack. And this little girl is just one of the 1.2 million people injured in Syria in the last five years. We are opening hospitals in areas where hospitals have been destroyed and there's no healthcare provision for civilians. Because all of us are volunteers, it enables us to channel every penny that's donated into our hospitals in Syria, just covering the costs of doctors, nurses, medications and operational costs. There are 13.5 million people inside Syria in need of humanitarian assistance, and many of these people have lost everything, but the most important thing they've lost is hope, and we want to bring a little bit of hope back into their lives by providing some of the basic things that they need, like urgent medical care. What we need most right now is for people to help us fundraise to cover the costs of the hospitals that we're running and supporting. 
I would encourage people to think about what they can do in their local communities. Uh, every cake sale, every coffee morning, every dinner that is hosted, all of these things make a big difference. If people are able to support us with standing orders, this is one of the most useful things because it enables us to plan and budget um, for staff salaries and medications on a monthly basis. We're all collectively responsible for influencing the things that go on in the world around us and we need to search our own hearts to see what we have to give that can change these situations. Every one of us has something to offer that can make a difference to the life of someone. So there you see the basic facts. It's an appalling situation and puts uh, the things that have been going on in this country in the last week, uh, I think, into some perspective. So we want to play our part. Samara has a very ambitious goal. Um, the first medical hospital that you she told about there, the emergency hospital, is already up and running. This is not something that is in the works. Uh, she has started that process working with local doctors and local medical teams, all of whom are either working voluntarily or for basic living costs. So all of the money that is donated goes right to the point where it's most needed. Her ambitious goal is to gather £20,000 in standing orders per month, 20000 a month to put together these hospitals that will support the people of Syria where it's most desperately needed. And we in St. Paul's want to play our part. And the information that you were given when you came in uh, is to that end. And what you will have received is a basic fact sheet. And if you haven't received it and, and you're on the email list, you will have got it through email. But the basic facts of what's going on in Syria, the fact that these hospitals are being deliberately targeted and destroyed as part of a military strategy. Um, the fact that uh, now 11.5 million people need urgent health care. So what do we want to do? Uh, read the information. There's a lot of good information here about what's going on. Uh, if you want to read more, uh, there's a reference to the website, samarasadappeal.org. Uh, and you can also speak to myself or Simon, uh, who have both been in touch recently with Samara. What we'd like to do is to set a goal in this church of raising £620 in monthly standing orders. Now, that sounds like an ambitious target, and I know this church has been very generous in the past with these various appeals, uh, but I also know that, you know, there are many things we can spend our money on. But this is a cause that I think is uh, incredibly worthy, and somebody who we know personally now, uh, who has been here and spoken to us, and we know the good work that is being done. How can you do that? Well, as well as the information, on the back of one of your sheets, you will see a standing order form. Um, what we're going to do is gather the standing orders from this church together, collectively, so you'll be paying into an account of St. Paul's, and then we will gather those together and send one monthly payment to Samara. 
Um, the simplest way of doing that is to fill in. Uh, the simplest way of doing that is online banking. So just follow the instructions that are on the sheet, and you can set up that payment uh, from your own account as long as you put the reference Samara. Now, that's going into a St. Paul's account, and what we don't want to do is have an impact on your current giving to St. Paul's. That's not what this is about. This will be over and above. So you need to put Samara on so that we know that it's for that appeal, and then we'll make sure the money gets through to her. Any amount will be good, whether that's £5 a month or £50 a month, whatever you feel you can afford. Um, it's a tough ask, I know. This is more than just giving clothes. It's more than a one-off donation. It is a monthly commitment, but we feel that it is something that deserves our support. So please take this information away, pray about it, think about it, reflect on it, and if you can help, do your payment online or fill in the form and take it to your bank, or you could bring it to the church office. But we want this to be a short, sharp appeal. It's not going to drag on through the summer. We'd like to have all of this in place by the 22nd of July before people disappear for their holidays. So if you can help, please do. Bless you.